Welcome to the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Gross, Ironman champion, PhD in women's history, and founder and CEO of Feisty Media. I started this show because I wanted to cut through the BS of diet culture and fitness culture and actually learn from high achieving women at the top of their game who have figured out how to feel and perform their best at every stage of life. So I chat with experts, elite athletes, and leaders who have learned to succeed despite the massive gender data gap in exercise and medical science and product development. Every episode is filled with information, advice, and anecdotes that will help you fulfill your potential as an athlete, mom, leader, or business owner. And listen up. If you don't subscribe to our women's performance newsletter, you are definitely missing out. It's totally free. So head over to womensperformance.com and subscribe now. That's womensperformance.com. This podcast is a production of Feisty Media. Hi, Feisty friends. By the time this episode comes out, myself and the entire Feisty staff will be in Kona, Hawaii for the Ironman World Championship. This year, the race in Kona will be only women. The men had their own world champs a month ago in France. So the world will be watching as 2,100 women take on Ironman in the lava fields of Hawaii. And we will be there doing media coverage and educational programming. So if you have any interest in triathlon, follow the Adventures of Feisty Media by following Feisty Triathlon on Instagram or head over to watchthewomenofkona.com to see everything we're doing, including interviews with the top pros, live podcast recordings about all things triathlon performance, and everything you need to know if you are quote-unquote Kona curious and one day want to race on the big island. But, oh my goodness, I am so excited to tell you about today's guest. As some of you know, I have become a bit of a crossfitter since retiring from pro triathlon, and I've been lucky enough to watch the CrossFit Games live in Madison, Wisconsin the last couple of years. So this year, the top two men, what CrossFit would call the two fittest men on earth, both have amazing women coaches, and I really wanted to talk with one of them. So today's guest is Michelle Latendre, who was a six-time CrossFit Games athlete herself from 2011 to 2016. And while she is clearly a great athlete, talking to Michelle made it very clear that she is made to be a coach. Michelle offers CrossFit coaching and programming through her business, DecaComp, and her and her team coach amateur and elite athletes alike. I asked Michelle how she got into coaching and whether she's had any pushback or negative experiences as a woman in coaching. We talked about what qualities she sees in elite performers, her coaching philosophy, and her recent foray into triathlon. There's a ton to learn in this episode from a coach who coaches the fittest people on earth. Michelle, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Sarah. I'm doing well. Thank you. How are you? I am great. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Congrats, first of all, on Patrick Vellner's recent success. Um, 
and you and your amazing coaching um, of him to being the second fittest man on earth. So yes. not bad, not bad, not, not bad. <laughs> good. A good day at work. Yeah. And for those, you know, for those of us who don't know CrossFit that well, like, what is that? What does that mean? Like the fittest man on earth? Like, how do you decide that? And how does one specific sport go? Okay, now we've decided who is the fittest man and woman yeah. on earth. That's a pretty loaded question. I know. <laughs> it's Sorry. like, um, there's a lot of nuance to it. Essentially, every year the CrossFit Games has the CrossFit, uh, sorry, CrossFit has the CrossFit games and you can consider that to be a world championships. And so there is the qualification process for that. Um, that starts from an open competition and it's exactly that it's open to everybody. You can sign up. Anyone can do that. Um, I'm signing up every year. Like we have members that are at local gyms that will sign up. And then through that competition is they filter out a certain percentage and they go to what they call the quarterfinals. And it's the same idea. It's an online competition. They'll filter out um, the exact numbers. I can't, I don't really remember, but they have, I think something like 40 athletes per designated region that will then compete on site to a competition they call semifinals. Mm -hmm. And in those semifinals is where you qualify for the CrossFit games and the CrossFit Games is held every summer in August for anywhere between four or five days. It changes. This is, I think, what's difficult about our sport is that it is always changing from movements and tests to the actual format of the competition, the location and um, the goals, I guess. Mm -hmm. So you can't like the designation of fittest on earth is something that's a little bit more of a trademark than the actual, you know, test of the fittest on earth because right. every year it's different. And so you can argue that the winner of the test is the winners of those tests of that year, et cetera. That said, there's a concept, a really strong concept in CrossFit that states that the fittest on earth will always kind of come out on top at different tests. And the premise is really the more exposed you get to different tests, you might not win them all, but if you do well in all of them, it'll accumulate to you coming out on top as a winner. And that's how you conceptually test the fittest. And so right. it stems really far back from the CrossFit methodology. Mm -hmm. And for those who don't know, what I'm talking about, right? CrossFit started as a training methodology and evolved into a sport because there's a lot of performance metrics right. in CrossFit that can be used for sport. But all in all, the, the goal of a CrossFit athlete is to be not a specialist, but a generalist and a good generalist at all the tests that are being kind of thrown at you. Mm -hmm. And so that's how you get to that in as yeah. few words as I can come up. <laughs> yeah, that was great. I think I applaud CrossFit for kind of taking on that task of like trying to create this, like some kind of system by which we decide who the fit is. Like, I love how it plays with our human imagination of like, okay, how could we test someone in all these multiple ways? So even though it's kind of an impossible task and every year there's going to be some things that people say, well, this suited more of this type of athlete or that type of athlete. At the end of the day, I'm glad that they're trying because, you know, it, it's, it's kind of fun. It all comes down to what you define fitness, right? Their mm -hmm. definition of fitness is moving 
large lows uh, quickly over long distances, something like that. So essentially they have a very specific definition of fitness and that is what will kind of be their ideal of a fittest person. For them, the fittest person is someone that can lift heavy weights, run really fast, swim well, um, really be, be good at gymnastics and also be good at mixing all of those things together. Whereas the fittest person in triathlon is going to be the one that can swim fastest, bike the most powerful leg, um, and then put to, uh, run the fastest, but also put together the best race. That's will be mm-hmm. the definition of fitness in there. And then you have the decathlete that has their definition of the best decathlete. Mm-hmm. There's no strength element in that there is to a certain extent because they're throwing weight, but we can both understand that weight lifting and throwing weight is kind of different. Mm-hmm. Right. So it always depends on how you define fitness, but I think that everyone should look at CrossFit games athletes as really being the, the, the athletes that can really do it all because we have fast five Ks and we have really heavy loads. And so those extremes are being touched and we're kind of touching base on everything in between, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I hear that. And you yourself, like you went to the CrossFit games six times. Am I right? I've yes. That. Yeah. yeah. From starting in 2011, which is like not that long ago, but I think in CrossFit years, in terms of the evolution of the sport, it's a long time <laughs> ago. Like tell us first, like your own sort of sports background. Like how did you get from, you know, wherever you were as a kid to like, being a CrossFit Games athlete. Yeah. Um, you know, every time I go back over the story, it's just, it's amazing how life kind of throws curveballs. Um, so my, at, in my youth, my sport was all, all things aquatic. I lived in front of a pool in the summer in, in Montreal, in the West Island of Montreal. If anyone um, of your listeners comes from that area, we all know that Community pools in the West Island are a big thing. So aquatic sports in Montreal are actually really popular. So I got exposed to swimming, synchronized swimming, diving, and water polo when I was young. And then my first like competitive sport was swimming. And then I translate transferred into water polo, which was I would consider my main sport growing up. Um, and I did that for many, many years, competed national and some international levels. I had like tried so much to make it to the um um the national team to try and make it to the olympics because that was my ultimate goal Mm -hmm. but ultimately i didn't just i just didn't have the talent and my height like i'm five foot one i'm not built for water polo (laughs) um and then i kind of took a break from sports when i entered sejep so here we have this school called sejep that transfers from high school to university so it's like a two-year degree before going into to university two or three years. And then during that time, I did no sports at all. I actually studied arts. So I became this skinny little, you know, artist. um, Then in university, I went into design, wasn't doing any sports, but found that uh, I was starting to miss kind of working out and being active. And then I, I basically, after a breakup, I started working out again in my later years of university. And, um, Coming at the end of my degree, I needed to kind of make a decision that would help me pay bills. So I applied for uh, jobs in gyms because I wanted to keep mm-hmm. out um, and kind of wait before I started to go into design. And then I found CrossFit through applying at a CrossFit gym 
Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I applied to be their secretary slash like, uh, you know, front desk manager. Mm -hmm. And then uh, they gave me an opportunity to kind of just try it out because they're like, you're selling the product. You have to know what it is. And I was hooked. You know, I was hooked on CrossFit because it was just like when I went to practice. So anyone who's done like sports, like Mm. practice has something amazing that we don't get as athletes, as adults. I mean, Mm -hmm. Like adults, we go and we work out because we want to manage our weight, manage our stress, do activity, but we don't learn much. And that's what I loved about CrossFit. I was like, man, it's like learning things, practicing things, having focused time um, in something that's not, you know, bill paying, something that's unrelated to real life, but it's just about improvement. And so I fell in love with it. And then I started competing like pretty much immediately. And by competing was like totally scaled. You know, I was doing pull-ups with band, um, scaling all all of that stuff. And then that was in 2009, December of 2009. My first competition was January, 2010. So there's literally one month after I started doing CrossFit. And then (laughs) I just jumped on every single opportunity to compete. And I just kept improving. I watched the 2010 CrossFit Games live and I was like amazed by the women who were competing and what they looked like, what they could do. The mm-hmm. fact that they were moving the same weight and doing the same things as men. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that the media was so intently covering the women. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yeah. uh, I just made it a goal to kind of make make it there one day. And then I just did all the things. I did all the injuries. I went yeah. overboard, just did the whole beginner mistake of everything. Yeah. And then I made my first CrossFit Games in tw- 2011, just kind of like a, a mix of hard training, surprise. There was an event that happened where the favorite to, to qualify for the games that year, aside from Camille Blanc-Bazinet, made a big mistake in competition. And I mm. kind of poked my way into that qualifying spot. We only had two spots back then. And after that, it when I experienced the game for the first time, it became my mission to just do this for as long as I could. And so every year after that was just training to keep going there, training to keep going there. And then after two, three years, my goal was not just to keep going, was to really try and hit the podium position and stuff like that. So that's kind of like the history of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then post CrossFit games, I've touched on different sports as well. I've done Olympic weightlifting competed at um, on international stage there then got into running totally recreationally. And then that led into uh, triathlon, which is something that I've always wanted to do. So now I'm doing triathlon totally recreationally and for fun. Right. I love that you're doing triathlon. Um, And uh, well, one thing, okay, I'll ask you this. I could go down so many side tangents here, but um, do you now combine strength training with your triathlon training? How do you do that? Like, especially when you're like in a heavy load, say, for example, with the triathlon I'm not training. there yet. I'm not there yet. <laughs> the triathlon Fair. training that I'm doing to me isn't serious. If mm. I was serious with my performance, I would totally be doing the accessories and all the important strength building stuff. But to me, it's just like, I'm still having fun with it. And I'm just enjoying doing training. That's not weightlifting. Um, but I do do CrossFit still, like I'll do it once a week to kind of stay fresh. I'll add in some external loads here and there, but I'm just not there yet. Right. Fair enough. That said, as a coach, if I was training a triathlete, 100%, they would be doing 
a lot of the CrossFit style accessories that I program um, that probably not the same as uh, pure triathlon, like weightlifting sessions that I've seen mm-hmm. They're a little bit more different, a little bit more based on athletic abilities, like power yeah. out and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But for sure, it's something that uh, in the long run, if I feel like it's going to be something I need to do to, to keep, keep having fun, mm-hmm. I will. But right now I'm kind of still having fun with residual strength <laughs> yeah. from my previous life. <laughs> Yeah, no, I get that. It's sort of like it doesn't your muscle just doesn't disappear, right? I'm sure you've got plenty of power on the bike. So I do want to talk about your coaching career because I think, you know, and you mentioned it before, like CrossFit is exceptionally like gender equal, especially in the sports world, right? Like, so we kind of see that we see that like the women get, um, you know, almost unparalleled equal media coverage and stuff like that. Yet, I don't think like we can take it out of the world in which we live and where we have like a very male dominated sports environment just in general. Right. Yeah. Um, And then this year at the CrossFit Games, we had like yourself and we had the first place male, both with uh, female coaches, uh, which was kind of, which was a bit mind blowing, honestly, as someone who like covers a lot of women's sports um, and has seen even like I used to coach athletes a lot. I, you know, I definitely saw places where myself or my other female coaches were getting pushed back around. Oh, well, as a man, I want a male coach or that, that kind of thing. Um, So first of all, congratulations on your amazing, amazing coaching success. And also like you have um, built almost kind of like an empire really with DecaComp. Um, so, wow. I, so what is my question there? <laughs> Where do we want to start? <laughs> when did you, when did you actually start coaching? Um, I've coached my entire CrossFit career and okay. I started in the gym, coaching class in the gym. And that's where I got kind of the most resistance as a female coach. Oh, and- interesting. Just like in the gym without like non-elite athletes, just regular folks doing CrossFit. Interesting. Things Mm -hmm. have changed a lot because the culture of CrossFit has, it's, it's expanded people's minds a little bit. In 2011, 2012, female coaches were less present within gyms, but CrossFit coaches, because it's a community-based style of training, women have been more present, I'd say, than maybe in other sports. It's a sport that has a little bit more uh, big picture kind of thing. So in my first years where I was trying to coach class, it's where I got the most kind of like, felt like I was being brushed off. And at first, my thought is, I'm a new coach, and probably my message doesn't have a whole lot of um, confidence in it. My tone of voice may be just demonstrates that maybe I'm not, I'm not the most like controlling coach or authoritative coach or whatever, but now with uh, a step back, it's clear that the whole package was a factor in that resistance. Like I'm five foot one. I'm a, I'm a woman um, trying to lead men that are lifting really heavy weights for complex movements. I can see how um, like I see now it wasn't, it wasn't just because I was a beginner, you know, I mean, part of it is there. Um, I think women are, are really sensitive to that as well, because it's something that we have to navigate in every profession. It's not something that's just unique to coaching at all. Um, but in my actual competitive career, I started coaching competitively in 2017 after I retired. So I coached, you know, 
class all the time. I became manager of a gym. And through that experience, I've also kind of, I've had all the positions you can think of in, in gyms. Um, Mm -hmm. I was an owner. I also coached, uh, I also worked on the CrossFit seminar staff um, Mm. with coaches trying to get their level one certification. Mm -hmm. So I've had all those experiences. And then one thing that I did realize is that throughout my competitive athletic career, I didn't never have never had a female coach ever. Mm, um, so mm-hmm. yeah. And what, so when I started coaching, to be honest, it wasn't a thing. Like I, I, I wasn't thinking I'm going to be the first female coach out there. I was just obsessed with coaching and, uh, it just, it was something to me that was more about filling the gap of what's needed as coaches. All my coaches were, um, very, they were, they all brought something to the table, but they weren't kind of, they weren't what I needed as an athlete. So I kind of set out to just provide what I needed as an athlete, someone that was understanding of my need for independence, but also understanding of my need for comforting and understanding of my need for, um, uh, focusing on technique and, and, and just allowing freedom, but also structure. And so, that's I started uh, DecaComp in 2017 with the idea of being a coaching company that would really focus on um, technique, that would really have uh, structured programming. Because back then, when I was competing, the programming was kind of just like, here's what's going to get you fit. But there wasn't a whole lot of progression. There was not a lot of mm-hmm. thought on the different elements of training the sport um, instead of just doing the sport to get better at the sport. You know what I mean? So. I just wanted to provide programming that was thought out that had some aspects of specialty style training, meaning like I would provide running programming. I would provide also agility programming. We didn't have that before and all these things. So, you know, I just, I just wanted to do something that I never had mm-hmm. over the years. Uh, like you learn about yourself, like coaching changes a lot. And one of the key coaching qualities that you need to have is self-awareness. And so through, through the past years, I've kind of realized, oh, right. So on top of providing what I want to provide for athletes, what I think is best for CrossFit Games athletes to do, to improve and to be the best they can be. I also need to realize like, I can't work with anyone. This doesn't suit anybody the same way when I was being coached, um, not all the coaches suited me. So then you to kind of decide what type of athlete you want to work with. And, and to me, that's the winning kind of recipe for, for success. So Pat is a demonstration of that where he, he, you know, I told him when I retired, him and I were really good friends. And I told him when I would retire that I was going to go into coaching and that he, if he wanted to uh, change his coaching, that I would be really excited to work with him. And uh, it was kind of like a partnership knowing very well that, I was going to learn with him and he was going to learn with me kind of thing. And so he trusted my experience mm-hmm. and, uh, I use kind of, I used him to see how things work and we just, and it all came up to this year being to me, the peak of our, of our partnership, although mm-hmm. he didn't win there, this year was the first year that I really felt like, you know, like, I think I can bring an athlete to the top. Mm-hmm. And uh, it took this many years. I think it was his seventh year working with me, but I really think that he could be at the top. And I was fully convinced that um, he, it was his to lose, you know? So interesting. So did you, 
you saw that coming? Like, did you go into this game thinking this is going to be Pat's best games ever? I think I I knew that with all the things that we had tried and the feedback that I was getting from him throughout the year, um, that uh, it the, yes, there was a really solid chance that he could take the top of the podium, and yeah, and and despite his age, because he is like 33, 30, 32 or thirty three, so I knew that this was going to be a really top year for him. Yeah, that's incredible. And I'm also wondering, you know, as you're talking, like, do you see certain qualities in people like in Pat or other people who have been super successful in CrossFit that create that success? Like, what are those qualities? I think it's intrinsic motivation and discipline. Mm -hmm. Like, um, and this is a process that I've learned over the years. I've worked with so many athletes. Pat is the one that has stuck with me over seven years, but I've worked with so many athletes. A lot of them have had some of their best career finishes with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and the key, the key to those who are really good and be, and, and consistently good, not, not top winners. When we're talking about top winners that are consistently on the top of the podium, we're talking about people that have an obsession like it's really obsession, right. but people like Pat and people who have consistently been at the top of their game are people who are just treating their craft as work and it's not personal and they're extremely disciplined in getting the work done, but also communicating when they need to rest. And so they'll take um, their passion and desire to be better put that aside, know that they'll know when rest is more important than the work. And so that's where discipline is. So you have to be extremely, extremely disciplined and extremely intrinsically motivated to, to do this. And motivation isn't the exact term. I think motivated, intrinsically motivated means like to me, you're motivated by motivated by the process and disciplined is where it takes It'll bring you to the results. But if you are in any way, shape or form, someone that is consistently externally motivated, I don't think that there is um, longevity in the career of those types of people. And you have to be careful with that. And it's not to insult the athletes. It's really, it's just something that I've noticed that um, the best athletes are those who really don't take things personally. They don't need external um, gratification. They do it for the process. They, they, focus their intention. It's so unsexy. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if you're s- slightly in it for, for the, the fame and the glory, <laughs> it's, it's not, not going to work. One. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. It's just, it's just, uh, it, it burns you out big time. Mm-hmm. It really does burn you out. If, if you're not getting the constant, um, um, reward of, you know, good job, you know, and, and this is something that like also working with your coaches, right? If you are someone like that, doesn't mean that you can't have success. It just means that you need to, in, 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 you need to choose the right coach, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not someone that provides a lot of, uh, 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 I don't want to say positive feedback because I do give positive feedback, but I'm not going to be someone that's going to be like, don't worry, you did a great job in this. I'm a v- very much a very realistic coach. That wasn't very good. We can do better. Um, to me, as a positive feedback because it's constructive and things like that. But if you're someone that kind of feels like that kind of feedback is just, it tears you down and you don't feel supported, then you need to change coach. And I've had that happen to me and that's okay. 
Um, but that's something that I've identified as, as a winning, winning combination. It's really just, if you're process driven, intrinsically motivated, and you have, uh, an insane amount of discipline, you will do good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We hear that a lot on the podcast about intrinsic motivation. And I'm just wondering, like, what are some of the things that you tell your athletes to encourage that intrinsic motivation or are there things that like mantras that you think that someone who's intrinsically motivated should kind of own? Um, how do we, and if someone thinks, oh shoot, I am too externally motivated. (laughs) Um, how do we, how do we, help them become more intrinsically motivated? I think that's a really good question. And to be honest with you, I haven't figured that one out yet. (laughs) Um, I think, I think um, being someone that has that, I've not had the success that Pat has in terms of results, but I've had the success in terms of, of, I've reached goals that I've set out for myself and I've found consistent success over the years. And to me, I can't imagine someone saying something to me and be like, oh yeah, I should be more, you know, externally motivated because it's just not part of my thinking process. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, I think what's important is you filter that out at the beginning of the relationship. And I've had athlete more and more mm-hmm. today. I'm having conversation with athletes that I'm taking on and explaining to them how I work. Like, don't expect me to reach out every single day to see how things are going. Mm-hmm. I expect you to provide me feedback on your training sections that you feel are necessary for me to know. Mm -hmm. Um, And like in competition, you know, I expect you to um, uh, like when we start competitions, I expect you to have, you know, grieving time when things go poorly. And I expect you to use that grieving time to its fullest and then move on. And this and that, what are your expectations of me? Um, Can I meet those expectations, et cetera, et cetera. And so I find that is, it will help a lot. The problem is, is that when athletes have this idea that a certain coach will get them somewhere, they'll tell them what they want to hear, you know, and then it becomes, and those it like, you can't control that. Like I have learned that you cannot control what people expect of you. If like, if they don't communicate honestly, then there's nothing I can do because my, my role is to communicate with you honestly. Mm -hmm. And so it's, I've had some bad relationships happen from that and I've learned from it. So the key is really being honest from the beginning mm-hmm. and, and I'm not going to sugarcoat what I have to say sometimes. So, you know, I've learned that through my father and my mother, my mother and my parents have always been extremely honest with me when I wasn't doing my best. They've always told me like, you can do better. You know, this is, crap and they never sugar sugar coated coated it. Mm-hmm. And so I have found a lot of value as an adult today in that feedback. Now it was hard to hear when I was young, but today I'm an independent and fully functioning human being that can <laughs> probably be resilient and go through lots of things. And I'd say st- a high functioning human being <laughs> to be fair. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's really important. And um, if you can't take it, then, then fine. Um, but hopefully in the long run, there will be some moments where you realize how that could have been useful or how that was useful, et cetera. Right. That's interesting. And you mentioned earlier that like, you feel like self-knowledge, I forget exactly the phrase that you used was really important for a coach to have. 
self-awareness. Yeah. And I think that's also really important for an athlete to have. Um, What are some of the other things that you think make a great coach? Uh, Making a great coach. I mean, I think I can only speak from experience of coaches that I've had and the coach that I am. Um, I can tell you what makes a not great coach. Like I've had (laughs) coaches that have been so married to their process Mm. that every time I posed a question, it was trust the process, trust the process, trust the process. And that's such a fucking bullshit blanket statement. Mm -hmm. Yes, you have to trust the process, but coaches have to be aware when they have a critical thinker on their hands. Mm. And yeah. The critical thinkers are usually what make really good coaches, right? Because they're going to be thinking of, of different options, different things, different reasons why something will work, why something won't work, et cetera. And if you can find yourself an athlete that is a critical thinker and that doesn't take arguments personally, you will become a better coach. And to me, that's Pat, right? Pat questions everything I provide, whether it's, it's just how do you want me to do this or how is this set up, whatever. He asks me questions on almost everything every day. Mm-hmm. And that is crucial for athletes and coaches to be aware of. And that's a sign that you have someone that is just really wanting to do the best they can in the moment and 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 getting the most out of that training session. So coaches need to know that questioning isn't personal. Questioning is Hey, I want to do this properly or hey, is this the appropriate thing for me because, you know, this and that. And I was like that. Mm-hmm. And so I had a coach that would tell me all the time, trust the process, and I changed coach. And then my next coach was kind of the same thing but different. He was really great at the beginning, but then when I was questioning how he was approaching training post injury from me, um he was convinced that I was trying to, I was scared of getting back into things, Right. but he didn't feel the way I felt. So this is where experience helps you become a really good coach because I've, I've gone through that. I've been a games athlete. Mm-hmm. I've been an aspiring games athlete. Um, I've been an amateur athlete in other sports. I've done that. So I know how the mental game plays. And I've, I know I can, I can somewhat understand how athletes are feeling. And so when some questions arise, I kind of get an idea of where that question comes from. Mm-hmm. So experience is really important. And, and it's important to understand the difference between being an elite level experienced athlete or just having experience in different things. You don't have to be a games athlete to be a good coach. Um, in fact, a lot of games athletes probably don't make good coaches because they're really, you know, all about what they're doing, whatever. But you have to have some level of exposure to different situations to understand the mindset of an athlete in different experiences. Mm -hmm. So if you have an athlete that cries a lot because they're kind of falling short of their goals, you know, it's, it, is it because it like put yourself in their shoes? Is it because their ideas of their goals, is it realistic? Like, what are they thinking and what are they feeling and blah, blah. blah. So having that experience kind of helps you understand. And having experience in different sports also helps you see things completely differently and helps you be creative with your training approach, like on a more. Absolutely. And so one of the things that I really appreciate about doing triathlon now is that um, it has, it has very much affected the structure and the way I program for my athletes. 
Um, and so seeing that side of, of a, a completely different sport has made me a better coach because I, I, I feel like I make better decisions now for mm -hmm. their training. And having been uh, a, an Olympic weightlifting athlete as well, having gone through that training process and that training programming and that style of competition, I have a different perspective on, you know, training as well. So you learn a lot through that kind of ex ex uh, exposure. Absolutely. I think when I'm doing my CrossFit training now, I often think, oh, about some of the lessons I learned from being an elite triathlete that I would apply. Like I almost wish I could have the opportunity to try to perform perform a little more in CrossFit. I just don't have the time right now. So maybe someday. But like if I did, I'm like, oh, I know exactly like which lessons I would bring yeah. over, you know, because I can see the ways where um the two sports could work really well together. So 100%. Um, it's really fun to think about. Um, I'm actually wondering, um, on the, you know, you've been in this in CrossFit for I guess 14 years now almost. Um Goodness. I started CrossFitting in 2009. Nine, yeah. 14 years, yeah. Yeah, here we are. Yeah. Um how <laughs> <laughs> um how have you seen the like women's side of the sport kind of develop and change in that time? Um I've seen I've seen things kind of it, it's quite amazing the the before women in terms of weights and and upper body movements like physically speaking it was really significantly lower than men mm -hmm. the capacities were significantly lower and um over the years that capacity has all but erased like like the equality is just really there a lot of women when it comes to upper body stuff have really stepped up. And so the bodies have changed a lot. Mm. Um, in the beginning of the sport, a lot of the best CrossFit female athletes were more endurance athletes. Um, and then now we're seeing uh, kind of a mix. The backgrounds of athletes have changed, but uh, we're seeing a lot more gymnasts and stronger athletes kind of stepping up a lot. Mm -hmm. And it really changes also based on the programming. And I can't neglect that piece because Dave Castro had been leading the programming of the CrossFit Games for so many years up until 2021, I think, or 20, yeah, 2021. Mm -hmm. um, so what we were seeing is that the women qualifying for the games were just the bigger girls because the demand right. was all about external load. Mm -hmm. um, there was a lot of demand on running around. And I'm talking about like the elite level. Yeah. Um, but then with Boz coming in, Adrian Bosman coming in and programming at the games, we're seeing the return of the little guy because he has a fetish and an emphasis on more athletics, uh, gymnastics, skills and athletics. So you need to be a little bit smaller, a little bit lighter and more skilled. Yeah. So we saw that athlete come back. Yeah. But overall, the women, the biggest change over the last 15 years has been the strength level of the women that has significantly increased. Mm -hmm. We're seeing barbell workouts compared to men that are completed faster. The, 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 the prescription has always been that women lift about 30% less. So it's always been RX for men is X and then women are about 30% less than that. But that's become kind of um, not true. And that's oh, why we're really barbell, wow. barbell movements, mm -hmm. barbell workouts, women are going faster than men. And so the relative strength is, is much bigger for the women than it right. is for the men. Um, and, and we're seeing, um, the women who are kind of standing out on top are those who can 
pull, upper body pull and upper body push better than others. Mm -hmm. Uh, The physique, I mean, like everyone who looks at any media from CrossFit, it's clear. Like when I say that the athletes were more endurance sports athletes at the very beginning, like they were lean and cut, but they were pretty small. And the average weight back then when I was competing in 2011 must've been somewhere around 135, 140 pounds because some of them were tall. And now yeah. the average weight is probably around the 160, 165, maybe a yeah. little bit less. I'd say maybe more 155 pounds. Yeah. But we're seeing some heavier women being there. And we're also seeing some lighter women being there. But overall, the women's weights has kind of shifted up, but the musculature is just really more there. Like women mm-hmm. are strong. Mm-hmm. They're yeah, just, that's true. They're strong. Yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> Incredible, actually, if you think about how much that's changed in such a short time, it's like yes, essentially the the women, like so many people, CrossFit was booming, right? And it's grown so much. And then you see more women coming in and then more women getting stronger so quickly. And I, I, I love that, honestly. Or I think back to like, you know, I don't even know, you would know what year it was, but Annie Torres daughter, like doing her first bar muscle up or ring muscle up. Yeah, like that was in, in the game. 2010 no that was in 2009 like yeah in the games and yeah and now you see like quote unquote ordinary women who aren't ordinary at all but in crossfit gyms everywhere doing that same movement like the the rapid change of that is just incredible yeah but women can be challenged like Hmm. like women can be challenged and and this is what crossfit does really well is they challenge everybody the same. And so where I think the reason why I think on the female side, there's been so much more growth is because they've never been challenged that way. Mm-hmm. Like, like general population women have never been challenged that way. Right. Um, right. It, Great point. So it's, it's normal. It's like the beginner's curve. We're seeing that. And now like, man, we have a girl on our team that we just took on as an athlete. Her name is Dana Perrin and she snatched 210 pounds at Whoa. the semifinals last year. Yeah. 210 pounds. And it's not just fresh, right? She did an 800 meter run, <laughs> the runner before snatching 210 pounds. Wow. So it's, it's like, um, it's absolutely crazy, you know? And I was one of the strongest athletes when I was competing in the weightlifting, not in the powerlifting, but in the Olympic weightlifting. Um, and I snatched two th- 205, I think was my best, you know? And now women are snatching 205 and they're not necessarily games level athletes, you know what right. I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. It's pretty impressive, but it's, yeah. it's empowering. Like mm-hmm. it's an important part of confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, external loads are an important part of confidence. So it's nice to see that. And the female field has gone through, there's a, there is, I feel like we're coming close to kind of a little bit of a plateau in the, female field mm. it, it, it i find that it has changed a little bit i feel like the depth isn't as um uh, maybe it's because i'm biased because i competed but the depth of female athletes isn't as crazy as it used to be but i think that's a normal cycle of things there's a generation of athletes that have kind of like stepped away had children retired mm-hmm. whatever, and i think it's going to just take a little bit of time for that to fill up i think we're in the process of seeing that filled up you know, I think more and more we're seeing a depth of field that's really interesting. I was blown away by the depth of field at the qualifying competition in the West 
last year. So mm -hmm. the semifinal competition on the West side of the U S and Canada, mm -hmm. uh, West side of North America, I should say. Um, I was blown away by the level of the female side on that. I thought it was going to be kind of like a, a very open qualification process, but it was a, it was a complete, uh, I, I was just surprised. So it's, it's getting back to where it used to be. That's for sure. Yeah. It's amazing. I, um, Something you said there, I wanted to pull out. We we recently launched uh, an online course called Strong, and it's okay. essentially like we developed it to help kind of the quote unquote again quote unquote ordinary. I know like a lot of people who do athletics as adults are never ordinary, but but like to get people, women in particular, from um, wherever they are into barbell movements and strength training, um, which I think there's sometimes this intimidation around gyms. And like, but sometimes that's very real. Like as women, we experience, sometimes we experience like men trying to help us in gyms in ways that we don't necessarily want and stuff like that. Right. So we created this course is like, wherever you are, you could start with body weight dumbbell, and then you move to the barbell to get those people comfortable. So at least when they go to the gym, they feel like they know something. Um, yeah. and for us, like, you know, one of the things I observe is that, there is a confidence that comes with weight training or like strength training in general, right? That like can flow over into other parts of life. Is that something that you notice as well? Oh yeah, a hundred percent. Like learning new things is probably the most important thing anyone with confidence issues should do. Mm. Um, I love that. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's, uh, and I'm seeing it like, we see it, the, 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 the teens and young adults that struggle with, you know, social interaction or that struggle with anxiety, you know, it just, and I've seen it with athletes that I've coached athletes that people ha that have never been exposed to a novelty. They, they, they don't, they're not confident. Like if mm -hmm. it, it just, it's hard to go to a gym never having done that before when you're young and just say like, yeah, I'm just going to do this, you know, with all like, yeah. So I think the tool of weightlifting is just one of many, you know, mm -hmm. um, it could be learning, painting, drawing, um, anything, because it just makes you feel good about yourself. Mm -hmm. Just acquiring knowledge makes you feel good. It's, it's just nice to be able to to, to just say like, oh yeah, I can totally do that. There's the, it, it's the basics of what it takes to be just a functional human being. So you can't be confident if you don't do that. And I think the weightlifting, the advantage of that is just overall the health benefits of it on top of just the confidence level. Mm -hmm. And I have to agree, like I've been in a situation when I was young and I went to a weight training room, like my fear was like, people are going to think I'm a complete psych, like I, I'm a, I'm a complete uh, fool. Just, I don't know what to do. So I'm going <laughs> to walk around in this room and just feel completely vulnerable and exposed. So I get that. And, and everybody wants to go to the gym. Everybody wants to go to the gym. It's part of our new realities as, as adults where it's like, well, I need to do this for long-term and some investment in this and that. But when you, if you don't feel confident in how you're going to do that, it's kind of, it's a big, big wall. So mm -hmm. yes, weight training, it's, it's just a tool to me. It's just like any other tool. Like I've been exposed to sports my whole life. So for me, anyone who's kind of intimidated by sports, is just silly because man, it's just sports, but that's my worldview that like financials though, like 
when I'm, I'm as a business owner, my biggest weakness is just business development. And I feel so out of place when it comes to that. And, mm-hmm. and not confident that like, if I'm exposed to that kind of talk, I'm like, I'm kind of jetting because it's like, oh, people are going to know, I don't know what I'm doing and I'm, I'm out, you know? So I would, I would kill to have some kind of exposure and, and education on that, you know, but again, I'm lacking time too. But so I think, I think all in all, it just comes down to learning skills mm-hmm. that help increase your confidence and confidence is like, it, it's not something that you have a plateau of. It's not a limited resource. The more you learn, the more confidence you build and the more you feel comfortable in learning new skills and the less you get intimidated by uh, situations that you have zero experience in. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's where men and women, women and men are different. Education of men has always been like, figure it out. Oh, he'll figure it out. Da, da, da. <laughs> Education of women has more been, oh, like that's a little dangerous or this and that. Like we've been a little bit security blanketing women and girls, which kind of impede their capacity to feel confident in new situations. Mm -hmm. And so if you can do as an adult, as a female adult, if you can do start with weight training, because it is a little bit more, uh, you can get a personal trainer or a course like you're running Mm-hmm. and, and, and do that. And then that will just get you, Hey, maybe one day I've always wanted to learn to paint. Like I'm going to go take a painting class, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's a catalyst. Learning is just the basics of building confidence to me. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. Endurance sports should be accessible to everyone, right? That's why we are so excited to be partnering with Motive. Motive is one of the fastest growing training apps in the world today with thousands of amateur athletes signing up every month and a nearly perfect 4.9 star rating in the app store. You are not a template and your training plan should not be either. Prepare for running races, triathlons, cycling events, duathlons, or swim runs, however your season schedule shapes up, and get training written by some of the best coaches in the world in each discipline who know what it takes to help amateur athletes reach their goal on race day. The app takes the training written by those experts and then creates the most optimal training plan for your schedule, abilities, and goals. Plus, the training is fully customized to your race schedule. How much you can train each week, your current abilities, and the goals you want to achieve in your race. You can use the app for free as long as you want or get all the upgraded features from the app for just $19.99 a month. But as a feisty listener, you can sign up at mymotive.com and use the code FEISTY for two months of full premium access. That's right, you get two months of premium for free. So you quite literally have nothing to lose. So head over to mymotive.com, M-Y-M-O-T-T-I-V.com and use the code FEISTY, F-E-I-S-T-Y. And on a personal note, I know the founder of Motive and he is driven to make triathlon and all endurance sports more accessible for the athletes who care about their performance, but who aren't quite ready for a full-time personal coach. If that sounds like you, definitely try the app for two months for free. You literally have nothing to lose.
Building muscle can be tough and gains can be so slow, even for those of us who do a lot of strength training. As an ex-endurance athlete who is now in perimenopause, I know this all too well. It can be frustrating to put in the time in the gym and not see the results I'm looking for. That's why it's super important to take the right supplements at the right time. One of those supplements is essential amino acids, which are needed to trigger muscle protein synthesis. Muscle protein synthesis happens when you eat high quality protein like eggs or whey. And by supplementing with additional essential amino acids, you can make sure you are getting the full benefit of your training sessions. Targeted essential amino acid formulas can be up to four times more effective than just eating protein. I've been taking amino acids for almost a year and in combination with eating quality protein and a couple other supplements, I have managed to turn the tides on age-related muscle loss, which starts at 30 for women by the way, and I have continued to make strength gains as I head towards 50. AminoCo has been a longtime sponsor of Feisty Media and has supported all of our brands and podcasts over the years. I recommend starting with AminoCo Perform, and you can grab some at aminoco.com forward slash performance. If you enter the code performance, you will save 30% and receive a free gift if it is your first purchase. Give it a try and let me know how it goes. That's aminoco.com forward slash performance and use the code performance to save 30%. Well, I don't want to keep you forever. Um, I just want one, I want to ask you one last question for anyone who's listening, who uh, may want to get into coaching or may feel, um, especially as a woman, maybe a little intimidated by that or think that they might not be taken seriously. Uh, what would you tell those people? Yeah. Um, coaching is a lot of guts. You have to, you have to take a position of, it's basically a, a position in which you're going to make decisions for someone. Like fem women who, who, who want to get into coaching have to realize that um, at first you kind of have to put yourself in a position of, I'm going to make these decisions and this like that. There's a huge part of education that helps build confidence. So if you're not educated in the world of coaching, and I'm going to talk to CrossFit uh, because it's my field of specialty, but if you're not educating in different training systems, then start with that right? That's a practical piece of advice. The more you know about um, different training systems, different training methodologies, different training approaches, modalities, etc., the more you can kind of, you have more tools in your toolbox, basically. But you have to learn how to use those tools. And so a lot of that has to be either you will learn to use them by trying out your programming and your coaching, Okay, uh, because coaching is just one part programming and one part navigating people, right? Managing people. Sure. Yeah. But the programming part of it is important because it it's what you're kind of selling. Um, right. So and you need to be confident in that, right? Like yeah, that, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's the practical thing that you're trying to sell, right? You're mm -hmm. going to develop your style with experience. Don't expect to have a specific style at the beginning. That's what I thought. Like when I started coaching, I was like, man, I don't know what I'm doing with programming. But with experience, I've realized like, well, you try different systems that have already been tried and approached. And, and what I did was did a lot of things that I used to do as an athlete. And then over time, you start to get more understanding of what 
programming really is and how creative you can be. And then you start to implement your style. And this is, this is like in art, they teach you, you have to know the rules before you break them because every artist will break rules um, either by aesthetics choice or by uh, conceptual choice or whatever. But you have to know the rules of training to understand how to use them to your advantage. And you have to be also a little bit of gut. So it's education, practice of the system, and then you have to be gutsy and you have to try things. And this is where it's really scary. Like when I started working with Pat and I start like in my first or second year, I remember having a conversation with Pat and saying, I really want to try this system. Do you want to try it with me? This is what I'm trying to do with this system. And so I basically told Pat, here's what I'm trying to do. Are you down with this? And his answer was, yeah, I'm down with that. And then my role was to kind of see if that worked. How do I know if it works? Like, how do you feel at the competition? How does he feel in training on a day-to-day basis? Testing and retesting, not excessively, because the more you're experienced, the less you need to do that, really. But so... If I were to summarize this, it's really get theory in education, get like uh, uh, lots of theory, um, learn learn processes and educate yourself theoretically, then get practical education, mm-hmm. learn how that uh, applies either through someone that is willing to do it with you or you yourself, and then just be creative with what you've learned. And creativity is so super important as a coach Mm -hmm. in my, because Mm -hmm. it's just, you can really develop something new with creativity, but you can't be creative if you don't have previous dots that are on the map, right? My favorite definition of creativity is connecting the dots that seem, uh, that are unseemingly connected. That's creativity. Mm, Absolutely. Yeah. That's innovation. Right. Yeah. So if that's where experience comes into play. Like if you have previous experience in different sports, you can connect those dots with CrossFit. Um, but you can't be creative if you don't have those first two steps. So those are my practical advices. Now, when it comes to confidence, you cannot build confidence as a coach until you've been a coach. Mm-hmm. So you have to be a coach and you have to be OK to be wrong. Right. You're going to be wrong, you know, and Pat tells me all the time when I'm wrong, but when I'm right, I tell him all the time that I'm right. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's always a process. Like you can be, you can have one training system that works one year for one athlete and that same system will not work that might not work the next year for the same athlete. Right. So you're yeah. like always in this process of learning a hundred percent, but you have to put yourself out there. You have to do it. And it, it like it, you have to either you get pushed into it or you just willingly do it, but you have to dive into the deep end because it's, it's like it, it, nothing will, it will never be perfect. And moms out there who are listening, who are also <laughs> like, you have kids, you think you're ready, you're financially stable and this and that. And like, and then you're like, holy shit, you know, I wasn't ready. And then yeah. you learn on the fly and then you yeah. become, you do your best and this and that. Right. So as much as I hate this correlation, because I've always kind of wanted to step away from the femininity of being a female coach, it's mm-hmm. something that I think that it's important, but it's not, 
Like there's a side of us that will always have that maternal instinct. We're not moms. It's really important that you understand that coaching is not being a mother because there's a level of professionalism that's taken away mm-hmm. by that. You need to protect yourself. You're not someone's mother. You're not someone's older sister. You're right. their coach. And there's yeah. a limit to what you can do for people. But what? But the the fact that women become mothers so suddenly when they have their first ch- children if and you adapt to that, you will adapt as a coach mm-hmm. much mm-hmm. easier than a mom. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> totally easier. Yeah. But my point is, is that if you can be new at being a mom, you can be new at being a coach. Right. That's a great analogy, actually. Yeah, I love it. Uh, well, Michelle, thank you so much. Your joy for coaching and your love of that craft has come through so much. And I think oh, um, I learned a lot and I think the audience will learn a lot too. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Sarah, for the opportunity. And thank you all for listening to my blabbing. Yeah, it's been so fun talking to you. As a lifelong runner and triathlete turned CrossFitter, I am stoked to announce that the athletic eyewear brand Tofosi Optics has joined us as a partner here at Feisty Media. Tofosi sports glasses hit all the marks for athletes. They're shatterproof poly bicarbonate, so the lenses not only reduce glare, but also offer scratch resistance, which I 100% need. They stay in place when you are moving. The hydrophilic rubber nose pads actually get more grippy the more you sweat, so they are secure and don't slide down your face even when you're running in hot conditions. No matter what sport you do, Tofosi has shades for you. Whether you love tennis, fishing, pickleball, running, cycling, or just hanging out on the beach. They are super reasonably priced, which I love, so I can have multiple pairs that go with any outfit. And of course, feisty listeners get a special discount. So head on over to tofosioptics.com and use the code FM20. FM as in feisty media to get 20% off your order. That's FM20 at tofosioptics.com. I'll put a link in the show notes to make it easy for you. For decades, running shoes have been researched tested and designed for men. Brands have relied on the shrink it and pink it approach to sell male shoes to female customers. That's why we are so excited to be working with Hedas. Hedas designs athletic footwear for women that elevates performance, safety, and style. Hedas unlocks the science behind women's biomechanics through dedicated research, creates better shoes for women that support their longevity and performance, and establishes new design standards to promote transparency in a male-biased industry. Hedas have a lower ankle collar to reduce rubbing, a breathable mesh toe box to allow for ventilation and to allow for female toe shape, a special kind of plate in the midsole to keep tired legs going, a narrow heel cup to reduce heel slippage and take the pressure off our Achilles, and a rounded instep to create a snug fit. Hedas has three shoe models designed for different sessions, the Alma Cruise for long runs, the Alma Tempo for training days, and the Alma Speed for pushing the pace. 
I've personally been running in the Alma Cruise and I love them. It's the shoe I always wanted and never knew I needed. The fit is perfect in every way. You can get your own pair of Hedas at Hedas.com and use the code FEISTY20 for 20% off. That's FEISTY20 at Hedas.com and it will all be in the show notes.